Welcome to another edition of the Work Life Podcast. We are doing a little bit of a road show still. I think last time I did a recording, I was at the Spartan Child Development Center, and today I am in the International Center, sitting with Joy Shantz, the Communications and Community Outreach Coordinator for the Office of International Students and Scholars. Good afternoon, Joy. How are you? Hi, I'm good. I'm doing good. Glad to be here. It's nice you have a window in your office. We can see the sun. It's a beautiful day out today. Maybe the last one this year. <laughs> you could be right. Yeah, and it's nice and warm in here. You never know. Sometimes buildings. I uh, Our office is in 116 Linton Hall. You know, that's the oldest building on campus, except for Cowell's house. And, uh, you know, the temperature is not always stable in there. The radiator heat goes up and down. But it's a nice place to work, and I'm sure you... Uh, Get a lot of activity here in the International Center. Is that an accurate assessment? Yes. Yeah, we definitely have a lot of people in and out, especially around lunchtime with the food court on the first floor. Uh, I think a lot of people don't know that there are offices in the International Center. I think they just think of the food court and the stores in the basement um, or in the garden level, sorry, is what they call it. Uh, But we do have offices here, our office, Education Abroad, and a lot of other international-related academic offices, too. So. Yeah, it only makes sense that the International Center would have international programs in it. Yeah. But I can say as a student here in the 90s, that's how far back my experience as a Spartan goes. Um, I did view it as a food court because I'm from Lansing. And that gives me a lot different experience than an international student or scholar. And so we'll ask, I'll ask you some questions about that uh, in this podcast uh, from the International Center about the experiences of international Spartans and how they differ or how some things are the same as uh, folks who are here from the United States or were born into citizenship. And so uh, that might be the only distinction, but there might be others. We'll figure that out as this conversation goes. Uh, Joy, uh, what do you do here? You know, I'm reading Communications and Community Outreach Coordinator. It would make sense that you do a podcast. You know, because that's communication-based. Exactly. But aside from this hour today, what else are you doing? <laughs> yeah, we, uh, I do a lot here. So um, I run the communications for our office. So that includes updating our website, doing all of our OISS social media. Make sure you follow us. Um, I run newsletters for students, targeted messaging for important you know, immigration updates or other things that come along. Um, sometimes it's working with other departments or even uh places off campus, even government institutions, making sure we pass on correct and uh, easy to understand information to our student population. So I'm kind of the like the translator or making sure our messaging is effective um, as much as it can be. And then the community outreach piece uh, brings in more of event planning and um, activities. I run a number of events like the Global Festival we just had. Um, a few weeks back, which is a huge community event, um, some other storytelling type events, kind of events that bring students into the spotlight and, and get them uh, a place to share their stories and share their culture. Those are kind of under my portfolio. So let me ask you about that. Um, I know your constituency is going to be international Spartans here at Michigan State. In terms of your outreach, how much are you geared towards that constituency and how much are you geared towards Uh, folks who are not international, part of the MSU community, who might be faculty, staff, employees at Michigan State, who might also participate in some of those events. Is it like a 50-50 split? Um, What's your outreach? And also then what's your attendance at an event like that? Yeah, those are good questions. Um, 
you know, a lot of our events, people might not know, they are also welcome at. Every Friday, we have our coffee hour event here in the International Center. And that's open not just to international students, but to domestic students, to faculty and staff, to community members. And we definitely have um, attendees from all of those categories every Friday. So I hope so. It's free coffee. <laughs> yeah, grad free coffee students and should be here. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that is a great example where we do see the different groups coming together every single week. Um, things like the Global Festival are definitely a huge draw for local families. So hundreds of the attendees were families with children from the area wanting to help them get that exposure to different cultures and to learn about the world. Um, so I would say, you know. We have different kinds of messaging. We have maybe immigration updates, and that's going to be 100% for our international student and scholar and maybe employee populations. Um, but then we have updates about events or about activities, and that's going to be to everyone. So kind of depending on what it is we're, we're talking about, we might have different focus groups. I think that you're going to be a really prime spot for Take Your Child to Work Day next spring. It sounds like uh, the... Maybe you had a lot of children at this global festival. And mm -hmm. that, that might be something we could replicate. I think it's in April. Um, so did you have that festival here at the International Center? It actually takes place at the MSU Union because oh, we cool. need a little more space than we have open space here in the International Center. And we take over all three floors of the Union, and it's a big, a big event. That's pretty neat. That's close to our building, so I'll be there. Sign me <laughs> up. Um, you are communication and community outreach for OISS. Is there another one of you or do you do all the communications and community outreach for the Office of International Students and Scholars? There's only one me. <laughs> I'm the only one who does the um, communications and outreach as my main role. Um, I have my uh, director or sorry, my assistant director and my boss. She assists with communications, um, especially more externally, kind of with more government um, constituents, but um, I'm the only person who does this as my full-time job here. So you should be the perfect person to ask this question. <laughs> what is the Office for International <laughs> Students and Scholars? Tell me in uh, the best way of communications and outreach coordinator could. <laughs> yes. what, where am I right now? What is this place? Yeah, absolutely. So the Office for International Students and Scholars is the best office on campus is the first way to introduce it. But aside from that. <laughs> the best office south of the Red Sea. Oh, okay, River. okay. We can divide by the river. Yeah. Um, so our office exists to serve international students and scholars with primarily their immigration um, concerns. So most of our staff are immigration advisors. They're trained and certified by the government to help students process, report, um, just assist them with their immigration needs on campus. Um, and then there's also a smaller team of us, about four or five of us who are kind of the engagement team. And our role is to work on student events, work on student leadership. We do community outreach. We do um, kind of communications, you know, all these things that come into play that are um, helping to create a community for students on and off campus. Um, and then we have a, another smaller team that's uh, focused on advocacy. So working with more student crisis cases and things that come up that need a little more personal attention, um, kind of advocating for health, safety, things like that for our students. So how did the issues for advocacy arise? Is it something your director just kind of thinks off the top of her head, or do you have some type of tracking me mechanism, or is it kind of just what's uh, the ears to the ground, and that's how you figure out things to advocate for? How does how do those issues kind of come up um, in your office? Yeah, kind of all three. <laughs> you yeah. know, sometimes a student will come to us and say, hey, I need help. This is happening. 
Um, that's kind of a rarity. More often, I think we've built strong relationships across campus so that when someone in uh, residence education and housing services or someone in uh, even the police department, you know, is becomes aware of something that's happening, they know to bring us into the um, into the fold to get us involved to offer our expertise, whether that's with language translation, when maybe family members who don't speak English are involved, or just helping understand some cultural pieces of what's going on, um, just to be that extra support for that student or scholar in that situation. Getting a driver's license, getting your Michigan ID, having your address verified, getting signed up for health insurance, and then even much more so understanding how health insurance works here in the U.S. Um, those are huge uh, challenges that our students face. I think uh, we do our best to try and um, and create opportunities for them to learn about these things or to kind of be a go-between. And we have resources about how to get your driver's license. We bring the Secretary of State to campus every fall to help um, make them more accessible to students. We um, have advisors who are well-versed in health insurance for international students and can talk them through bills and claims and things like that. So um, we try to fill the gaps for them in that way because it is it's so confusing and there's so much to learn and um, there's not a lot of uh, help coming necessarily from those agencies to to break things down for them. So we try to we try to help out with that as much as we can. So um, it's really important that we have friends across campus that know what we do and know that we're ready and, and willing to help so that we can work together that way. Oh, yeah, for sure. That makes me think that the issues might not even come from within these four walls of the International Center. It could come from a different department or office. It could it could come from a college or something that that has a, a set of international students who are voicing concerns within the college and then come to the uh, OISS for support. Yeah, to, absolutely. To it's way. definitely a whole campus and honestly, a whole community effort. We have um, partnerships with, you know, uh, apartment complexes or with police and ambulance people in Meridian Township and in Bath Township and in East Lansing and Lansing. It's, you know, when, when students and scholars come here, it, they're not just always on campus or always at MSU. They live in the community. They're, their families go to local schools. You know, they become um, part of the community here. And so we kind of have to be connected in a lot of different ways. Yeah, that's accurate. Um, and it sounds like there's a lot of crossover to work-life issues um, with the folks that you serve. And I wouldn't expect anything different. It's not like uh, because someone's international, they just all of a sudden don't have a family right. circumstances. <laughs> right. you know, those are the same. We live in the same communities. And if we have families, you know, we are going to experience some of the same family circumstances, mm -hmm. ranging from what school system to enroll your child in to where is your daycare. That was the last podcast I mm -hmm. did, How to Choose Daycare. Um, but there will be some other uh, circumstances that might be specific to the international experience. Uh, one that comes to mind is, um, I think, or I've heard, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, and I don't want to make an assumption or stereotype by any means, but I believe that when uh, an international scholar comes uh, and is employed, perhaps their spouse isn't always employed as well, so there might be a more stay-at-home daycare. Um, and that, I've, I've, talk, I've get, gained this information from talking to people, and what it means is there's a different uh, support uh, needs in place, maybe for the spouse in the in-home daycare, as opposed to finding a child care center that maybe not, not, might not be the need, but finding a support network for the spouse might be the need that arises. Is that what your experience is as well? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, visa regulations are always changing, but mm -hmm. um, for a long time, 
students or scholars would come and, and bring their spouse and their spouse uh, with a with a dependent visa is what it's called, mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to go to class or to work. Right. You know, they, their only option was to be at home. And so if they were home and they had children, that's what they would be doing is being home with them. And we found a lot of our student spouses were, you know, very lonely and not having a lot of opportunities to learn English well because they were, um, you know, mostly at home. And uh, many of them are professionals in their home countries and had, you know, businesses and thriving careers or were Ph.D. Uh, students themselves. And now they're here and they're um, in this new country and feeling kind of um, just stifled with um, what their options are. So we do have some programs, actually, the um, Community Volunteers for International Programs, CVIP. I don't know if you've heard of them before, but they have an International Spouse Connection, which is a free volunteer program where they actually uh, serve exactly that. Uh, group of people, so spouses who are not working or not taking classes, um, and they meet once a week and do culture sharing. They do field trips around the area. They uh, teach each other tips about where to get the right groceries or what to do around town. And so that's been a really effective community building um, spot for them. Because I, you know, I think that that's one of the things we want to address is the potential feeling of isolation for the spouse. You know, we we don't want anyone at Michigan State. Scholar, student, employee, or spouse, or family, or anything under that uh, umbrella to feel isolated. Uh, so we need to provide as much social support for the scholar students and their families that we can. And it sounds like you're doing that through the CVIP program. Is it Community Volunteer International? Volunteers for International Programs. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. And uh, it sounds like a cool program. Is this something that you need to be international to register for? Or uh, and or is this something that someone, again, who's from Lansing, like myself, uh, can volunteer for? Who are the volunteers and who are the participants in the CVIP program? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Great question. So CVIP actually has been around since 1961. So it's a longstanding um, group of really passionate volunteers. Many are retired faculty uh, or staff members from the university, um, and they live in the area and are still eager to, to be involved. And what started as a program where they lent winter coats to international students, now they have about seven unique programs that they run, and the Spouse Connection is just one of them. Um, so there's lots of options to get involved. Definitely faculty and staff, community members are welcome to get involved. You can um, be part of a friendship family uh, program where you're matched with an international student or scholar, not as a host family, but as a friendship family to meet with them. You can be a volunteer English conversation partner. You can um, help at the Spouse Connection. There's so many ways to get involved, and all of their programs serve international students and scholars on campus and off. It sounds like something I should sign up for because I need to brush up on my high school French. There you I, go. <laughs> I would really like to <laughs> help someone from France with their English. They could help me with my uh, my French, and that would be an outstanding, mutually beneficial relationship. Yeah, that definitely happens. We definitely have people who who join as the English conversation partners who do maybe an hour in English and then an hour in whatever language they're studying that the international student might speak, and so that way they both are are getting practice that way. Well, for me, it might be an hour for the English, maybe a minute or <laughs> yeah. two. In you the gotta French. start somewhere. Yeah, right. Um, so that sounds like a great program, and I think mm-hmm. um, that. Our uh, faculty and staff, our employee listeners to this podcast should consider signing up for that CVIP program uh, because if you're anything like my program, we love employees because they're easy to contact, (laughs) easy to reach, 
They've already taken their background check. Yes, yep. uh, and it's a lot easier of a volunteer. This is nothing to take away from the community volunteers, also important. But from a program management standpoint, I'm telling you, all these employees who are listening to this, you need to start signing up for these volunteer programs. Uh, make it easier on us program managers <laughs> and uh, serve your community because I know that the social support provided through this international um, volunteer connection uh, is pretty pretty special. You know, um, can you talk a little bit about maybe some of these uh, sort of hidden things that come out of a of an international uh, match with an employee volunteer relationship? That's sort of the special thing. You me- you mentioned the coat drive and th- things like that. So we don't uh, often see as folks who are domestic uh, this like deep level connection and behind the scenes sort of bonds that are formed between these volunteer and international student and scholar matches. Do you ha- can you think of any anecdotes or specific examples of the types of relationships that are built between these volunteers and international folks? Yeah, absolutely. I actually have one example um, of a staff member, an academic advisor um, on campus who joined this program uh, with her husband and her family. And um, they actually adopted children from overseas and they've been able to uh, match with students who are from that same country. So they've been able to kind of help their adopted children, you know, meet someone and learn a little bit about what the culture is like there. And so that's been a really enriching opportunity for her family. Um, And I can think of another match who um, they, you know, maintained their their friendship through the years the student was here. The student has now moved back to um, Korea. And in the years following, they've they visited her in Korea. She's come back with her husband and now with her baby. And they're kind of like American grandparents to this student's child. And so, um, you know, not every relationship lasts for that long or, or is that, um, you know, deep and um lasting, but I think a lot of them are. And we do see uh, these friendships really uh, maintain over a long time and just bring so much to both sides, I think, in terms of understanding someone different, um, providing that sense of home for that student who's so far from home. And um, yeah, it's a, I can think of many more stories, but I won't tell them all. But I think I've heard so many positive examples of how um, people have just gotten so much out of the program. I heard a story recently about somebody who had just come to the United States and was like, got the flu, like in their first few days. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what do you do in that sort of situation? Uh, so uh, let me ask the question this way, uh, using health care or circumstances as an example, um, and then we can broaden it out. If somebody is an international newcomer and experiences an issue in their first few days, um, is OISS the place that they're going to go first, or should they be equipped at that point to find uh, a ready care, or if their first need is to do laundry, do they come to OISS, or should they be equipped to go to a laundromat, or if their first issue is find an apartment, do they go to OISS? So I could keep listening mm-hmm. to them, but the question, <laughs> there is a lot, and so uh, we deal with the same thing at Work Life Office, is the first point of contact OISS, or What's the process for international newcomers? Do they come here? And then how does that all work? Yeah, so it's a little different depending on who the newcomer is. So for an undergraduate student, uh, international student, they will, you know, have contact with international admissions and then kind of be passed on to OISS. And um, they'll work with us for their orientation. They have a week-long required orientation uh, program they attend, and from there they kind of get more acquainted with housing, with admission, or with uh, advising, with their college, other things like that. 
Um, for graduate students, it's mostly done through their department. So scholars and graduate students, they might uh, have their first and main point of contact be their graduate secretary or the uh, professor who is inviting them to come and, and research with them. So um, that's a little more segmented into the different colleges. And then an international employee is most likely going to work with their uh, employing office and maybe the work-life office before they would be coming to OISS. So yeah, kind of uh, each group would have a different uh, a contact point. And OISS might be involved at some point in all of them, but their main source is going to be different. That that looped back around to what I was going to ask right when we started, but I never got to it because we yeah. were having such great conversation. <laughs> and you just brought it up, the students, the scholars, and the employees. Mm -hmm. So the common bond there is the word international, but then there are a lot of different roles that people play here at Michigan State. Ranging from freshmen to, you know, grad students to tenured faculty, mm -hmm. um, all being international. Who does OISS serve um, primarily or all-encompassingly? Uh, what's, what's your constituency? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so we serve international students, so undergrad and graduate students uh, who are here. Student and scholar technically refers to the different visa types. You can have a student visa or a scholar visa, um, but the names also can, can mean different things too. Um, so a student would be someone who's here pursuing their uh, degree of some kind, a, an undergrad or a graduate, a master's or a PhD. Um, a scholar might be someone who's here doing research for a short time. They're doing a special project. They um, could be here for a longer term also, but scholar usually refers to people who are here for a, a shorter term. Um, we have visiting professors who come. We have visiting professionals who come. Um, there are employees, uh, international employees that we serve and assist with their um, visa paperwork as well. And then, of course, all of these student, scholar, employee, spouses and family members, we serve um, in some way, both by processing their immigration documents and then also a lot of our services are available to them as well. So. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, and um, the word that stuck out to me was visit. Mm. Uh, I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that these visas are all temporary, and they range a span of a year or years, even months, I guess, sometimes maybe. I don't, I don't know the details, but there is always an end date. Mm -hmm. And uh, it makes me think of the, um, the, the Certified Tourism Ambassador Program, which is something that the Greater Lansing Conventions mm -hmm. Bureau put on recently. And we, we participated that through the work-life office. And uh, it was really customer service-based, mm -hmm. and it was like treat the visitor um, you know, to the best of your abilities so that they feel good and they'll come back. And you know, to frame it as these individuals are visitors to East Lansing and they're visitors to Michigan State is a different lens to look through um, that is even, you know, making me think as we're talking about this, where if you had a visitor in your home or on campus, I mean, we treat our visitors, uh, say recently, maybe the Penn State football team. Mm -hmm. we, you know, we even treat them all right, put them up in the <laughs> hotel, you know, aside from game time, we're nice to <laughs> right. them. Uh, but if you're, you know, your relatives or something came over for the holidays, you would want to treat them well in your home. So we we should treat these individuals not only as Spartans, but as as visitors, uh, you know, to our to our homes and to our community. And if we uh, look at it that way, I think, you know, maybe we can up our game a little bit, <laughs> you know, and 
and really help them out because uh, we need to ensure that they have a great experience. They're going to go back home at some point and tell everyone what it was like at MSU. And if you're Mm -hmm. anything like me, you really value uh, MSU and, you know, the East Lansing Mm -hmm. uh, area. And it's a big deal that people think that this is a great place. So these are our visitors, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's this um, this movement across the country, actually, of uh, becoming welcoming communities and welcoming cities. East Lansing is a welcoming city. Um, so that includes us. <laughs> and I think um, that really kind of encaptures what, what we talk about in our office, too, is how can we make sure our students feel welcome here? And, that, and being welcome doesn't just mean, hey, you're here, here's your orientation, now figure everything else out. But instead, it's how do we equip them to to be successful here on campus in their academics, but also to have an apartment where they feel safe and, and like they can live there and to have a grocery shopping experience where they feel comfortable and, and able to ask for help if they need it and that they're welcome as they go out and about in our city. And I think all of us um, who are from here and live here have a part to play in that in helping us live out that welcoming city uh, title. There's a, probably a lot of different um, types of international folks that you deal with. What does international mean in OISS? Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, when OISS was you know, created, founded for the university, international um, you know, mostly refers to people who are coming here from another country to pursue a degree, to um, engage in research and scholarly activities here on campus. And more now, even, you know, to work here as an employee or a professor, Um, we do have, uh, you know, students and scholars who have been in the U.S. for a while. Actually, more and more, our undergrad students are studying in U.S. high schools and then coming here to MSU, having already been in the U.S. for maybe three or four years already. So um, that's some changing tides. Even just the last four or five years, we've seen those numbers grow and grow. Um, So they are also international students, but, you know, maybe they're very... Uh, familiar with American customs and they graduated from a U.S. high school. And so they have a very different experience than a student who literally arrived here 12 hours before orientation from Vietnam. You know, it's just a very different experience and um, understanding of what um, what is to come. So uh, we serve those students, um, you know, with faculty and employees. I'm not exactly uh, versed myself in all the different visa categories for them, but I know that we do work with, um, you know, any international any faculty member who is from another country or has a, a doesn't have citizenship and is on a, a temporary visa, we will be able to help them in some way. And, and most of them we serve very directly. So um, but I think that people who interact with our office can identify as international in lots of different ways. Uh, even myself, I was born in Michigan, but I actually grew up in Southeast Asia um, until age 18 and then came to MSU as a freshman. So I'm American and I um, you know, was born in Michigan, but my entire uh, childhood experience was in a different country and culture. So um, I think I identify in some ways as as having that international experience myself. And many of my other colleagues have similar stories of, you know, um, moving here as children or living in other countries overseas, having, um, you know, formative years spent in different countries and cultures. So uh, I think People who have those experiences often find their way to OISS, if not as a group that we target and serve, um, you know, in immigration ways, but just as people who come to our events and who get involved and who work in our office or who kind of find a sort of community here. Are your immigration advisors experienced in um, being international uh, newcomers themselves 
uh, or is it kind of a mixed bag? Some are from this area and just have expertise. Some have the experience. Who uh, who makes up your group of international, uh, I'm sorry, immigration advisors here? Yeah, yep. So um, our team is very diverse. It has a lot of different um, experiences in terms of where they grew up and how long have they been in this country or, or uh, what their education is even. We have people coming from education backgrounds, from uh, communications from uh, law. We have a lot of different uh, experiences that have brought people here. Um, so I think the answer is yes <laughs> to all of your questions. Yeah. Some of them um, grew up in different countries. Some of them are from the Lansing area. So it's really uh, a mix of all those things. We have, I think, at least six different languages uh, spoken in the office. So um, that's a, a great thing to be able to offer in times of need. You know, we can sometimes meet students where they're at that way and um, you know, even though we come from different places and have different experiences, all of us are very passionate about um, our work and about making sure that students feel comfortable with all of us and, and that not only are we kind of inviting and welcoming, but also we are, you know, at the top of our game in terms of knowing what the regulations are and being able to provide accurate um, and proper advice. You know, the the immigration piece, especially, it's uh, the stakes are high. If students don't do the right thing in terms of their paperwork or they don't turn something in, uh, the consequence could be having to leave the country, you know, and abandon their degree. So it's really very serious. And um, so the the training is intense. The um, work that our uh, more senior employees do to keep on top of, you know, changing regulations and changing policies all the time, um, it's very constant. And so um, they're definitely very um, highly skilled and, and respected people in the field around the country. And we're lucky to have our team here. How much of the OISS work and support uh, deals with issues like uh, workplace bullying? And I bring that up because that's a work-life office mm-hmm. you know, issue. That's something that's important to us. Uh, workplace issues. Um, I know international folks can be in a vulnerable position mm-hmm. because, you know, there aren't, are, aren't a lot of options. And if you have a, um, a, a researcher who you're studying under who is abrasive and maybe a bully, you know, mm-hmm. to go to the extreme, there's not sometimes a lot you could get done in that year that's, you know, your visa or whatever. Mm-hmm. So what is, um, what, what's the current climate here at Michigan State and the support in place for international folks uh, to, to, to just make sure that um, if there is bullying occurring, that there are options and resources to support that circumstance. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really important um, element and definitely something that we have seen over the years is that, you know, a student is in a lab, for example, and the person overseeing them is just abrasive or sometimes even, um, you know, cruel to them and, and just mistreating them. But they feel so much pressure that if I'm not in this lab, you know, this is the lab that sponsored me to come here. I have to make this work or I have to go back home and abandon all the work that I've um, accomplished. Or, um, you know, in some cultures, they have different uh, approaches to respect and kind of authority and power distance and um, just cultural practices like that look different. And so speaking out against your superior would be very frowned upon. And that's not something um, they would feel comfortable doing in any circumstance. And so, um, you know, these are some of the the um, situations we've been ha- trying to help our students navigate um, every year. These always come up. And I think that um, 
we try to make sure our students know in their orientation and as they get here that you have a right to be, you know, safe and respected and you have a right to these things. And here are um, contacts for offices on campus to make reports, anonymous reports. And here are um, resources at the counseling and psych- psychiatry services, um, psychiatric services on campus. And here's, um, you know, someone in the work life office. We try and connect them to resources. We can help them you know, with our, our emotional support or make sure they, they know they can come to us, but we need to get them to the proper offices on campus that can really help them in those situations. Um, so we try and do a lot of education and, and referrals and um, work like that. But um, yeah, you know, we definitely have more work to do on that. And of course, on the flip side too, you know, there's there's labs and there's offices and there's departments where people are doing an outstanding job welcoming students. And we hear stories of uh, you know, last year we gave an OISS award. We have these Globy Awards that we give out every spring to people <laughs> around campus who are um, being extraordinarily welcoming and kind to international students. And this woman working in a potato genetics research lab, I believe, was inviting her her visiting scholars to her house for dinner like once a week and having this kind of family style um, community just in this potato research lab. And we had no idea until they nominated her for this award. And so... Um, stories like that are obviously the the flip side, and it just warms my heart to even remember it and think about it. Um, so there's unsung heroes, and there's also people who are not, you know, being welcoming and respectful. And how do we make sure students know how to advocate for themselves in both situations and and um, to feel safe and um, served on campus as they should be? And it sounds like uh, there's a big social component to the um, Office for International Students and Scholars. There are a lot of social networking opportunities. There's the Friday coffee at what, mm-hmm. four o'clock? Yep. Four to six. I gotta get to one of those. <laughs> yes. Um, I need that coffee. I need some, I wish <laughs> we all do at 4 PM on Friday. <laughs> yeah. So those events are what, what's your uh, next big upcoming uh, social event for the office for international students and scholars? Yeah. You know, I'm still reeling a little from the global festival. So <laughs> recovering bet. from that, but um, you know, we have a few more coffee hours left before the end of the semester. Um, and then in the spring, we'll have a couple things like our uh, international, our Globy Awards, like I mentioned. Uh, we have a big reception for that and our student essay contest in the spring. We try and do a service day in the spring semester. So, um, yeah, we're kind of on the wrapping up end for fall. But definitely come spring, we try and offer um, activities to get people, you know, out of the cold and out of the dark <laughs> gray weather and give people a chance to to interact and, and meet some new people. I'd be really stoked if there was... Uh... An event that was based around music. Ooh, I would, mm-hmm. I would really get a kick out of that. I know the College of Music does a great job, and I get my jazz fix on mm-hmm. occasion. <laughs> but the international music, that would be great as well. Yeah, well, you know, um, a big number of our events in the spring are actually not put on by our office, but our international student organization events. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of our student organizations, cultural uh, groups put on their big event in the spring semester. So you could really go to one or two every weekend if you wanted. There's a Malaysian night, an Indonesian night, Japan club curry night. There's, um, you know, just all these different uh, cultural events. They almost always include international food and often music, dancing, performances, and they're almost all free. So that's a really great way, kind of like we talked about, to continue that welcoming effort is to... Um, go, you know, show up in person at these events and just show your support by being there and by being interested. Um, I think that goes a really long way. Yeah. Uh, immerse yourself, you exactly. know, invest by immersion. And that's the really, that's the way to make those connections. And like we said throughout this podcast, the only way that you're going to really learn 
about international cultures is to talk to somebody who is international. That's, mm-hmm. that's the real, you know, we can, you and I can talk. It is a great <laughs> discussion, but the next uh, podcast episode is going to have to be with somebody um, with an international experience. And then we're going to get the real deal. Yeah, so absolutely. Uh, that's a good, you know, break for us. We talked a lot. I hope everyone got something out of this podcast episode with Joy Chance, the communications and community outreach coordinator for the office for international students and scholars. It's a, a mouthful. That's a lot of words. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, how long have you been with the office, Joy? Uh, I've been here six years. Oh, that's a long time. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is five more years than I've been here. <laughs> it's a great place to be. Yeah. Well, it's great talking with you. Yes, and thank un- you. And until next time, thanks again for listening to the Work Life Podcast. Mm-hmm.